You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Did you forget to eat your lentils, asparagus, walnuts, and green leafy vegetables? Does Iran actually have a soft spot for circus animals? These are just a few of the topics we will be covering today. Hello, I'm William Mayoff. And I am Nancy DeFabio, here with our producer, Dale Chadwick. And welcome, everyone, to Animal News Magazine. Chadwick is signaling me that there's something going on. Okay, sorry for the uh, pause. Uh, So this is a live radio show here in Los Angeles, and it's about animals, obviously, as the name suggests. And our topics range from animals in science to animals in entertainment, to animals in religion, and to animals in agriculture. We try to cover everything, even the most remotely related to animals. They play an important role in our daily lives, these animals. And they play also a role in our society. This shows about increasing our knowledge and understanding of the animal world, and from that information, you can draw your own conclusions. Uh, We here have our own uh, opinion, but we want you to uh, make your own decision based on the information that we provide on the show. Our guest today is Leslie Goldberg. She's with CompassionateCity.org or Compassionate Bay. She's one of the organizers, and she's going to be coming on at 2.30 talking about their campaigns and um, basic. I think probably the focus will be the anti-fur campaign um, the ban on fur in California. But before we start, as I usually like to do before we get serious, is uh, tell you a little joke. So a man walked into a Florida bar with wearing a nice suit. I think it was uh, a Cavalli suit. Cavalli? Canali, sorry. Canale. I'm horrible Italian. Okay, um, I you said Armani. And he, anyway, he walked in with his alligator, and he asked the bartender, do you serve lawyers here? And the bartender said, sure. And the guy said, good. One beer for me and a lawyer for my alligator. Uh, <laughs> okay. How do I follow that? I don't know how I follow that. Before I proceed, folks, get your kids to listen to parts. Get kids to be sensitive to animals and to uh, nothing like starting at a young age to get them uh, interested in animal welfare and uh, you know, not just animated Disney cartoons and movies. I think that's a good public service announcement before we start, Nancy. And also, it's hot. It's hot in many parts of the country. And uh, keep your dogs, keep your pets outside of the car. Yeah, keep them home. But if you have to bring your cat, or your dog, rather, which is really crappy, try not to. You know, keep the whole car open and all that, (laughs) Run the risk that the dog jumps out. Better than getting fried. In Unless there. you have a Tesla with that I automated air it, yeah. conditioning, you're you're don't kind bring of it, yeah. Don't bring your dog with you in the summertime. It's terrible. Leave him at home. Anyway, onwards. Alzheimer's. Or take him in the stores with you when it's. You know what? Take, yeah. Who cares? So what they're going to say? You can't keep your dog in here. You, That's you right. Leave. Uh, I you mean, know, take a chance. Restaurants and the general merchandise stores—they're much more open-minded about you bringing your dog in there, and uh, you know. Worst comes to worst, say it's a service animal, and you'll get everywhere and anywhere, and you'll save your dog's life. All right, so, you know, we've all uh, probably had a friend or family member uh, suffer from or begin to suffer or uh, fear suffering from uh, 
Alzheimer's or dementia. So we're going to address those issues uh, just a little bit here. Alzheimer's disease, AD, is a type of dementia that generally affects adults 65 and older. This can range. It's a progressive illness characterized by problems with memory, thinking, and behavior. These symptoms, which usually start slowly, get worse over time, eventually interfering with daily activities. In the U.S., about 10% of individuals age 65 or older have Alzheimer's disease. The illness is characterized by a loss of cell function. The brain cells have trouble communicating with each other and can no longer store or process information. Genetics and lifestyle factors are linked to the disease. Alzheimer's disease is officially diagnosed with an autopsy or brain biopsy. However, a probable diagnosis can be made based on the presence of some or all of the following, following clinical features. One, a gradual decline in memory, especially recent memory. Two, language difficulties, including trouble remembering names and trouble speaking. Three, problems with vision and motor skills. Four, difficulty with reasoning, judgment, ability to plan and execute. Five, psychiatric and personality changes. Examples are paranoia, delusions, depression, visual hallucinations. Recent research suggests that a decrease in incident function may also play a role in development of AD, Alzheimer's disease. When the body becomes resistant to insulin action, as in type 2 diabetes, it becomes more difficult for glucose to enter and provide fuel to the brain. Thus, maintaining good insulin function or sensitivity can be an important way to prevent dementia. Eating fewer total calories per day can benefit brain function. That's addressed to all of us overeaters out there. For example, certain populations in China and Japan have low average daily caloric intake, some 1,600 to 2,000 calories per day and lower rates of AD compared to people in the United States and Western Europe who typically overeat, you know who you are, and they consume more than 2,000 calories a day. Following a healthy diet and lifestyle can minimize the risk of developing any chronic illness, even if one is genetically predisposed. I don't know if my mic is on. I Do you hear me, William? Yeah, I do. I hear you. Okay, because I You're was talking air, before, Nancy. and I think I... Okay. You're on the air. Because I want to... I want to comment on this. There was a conference on Alzheimer's disease. Um, I, I, I don't not long ago, uh, Harvard researchers discussed the role that fruits and vegetables play in uh, Alzheimer's, and they evaluated. This was a study that, or a test, whatever you want to call it. They, uh, the researchers evaluated approximately thirteen thousand uh, female nurses in the health study. And they tracked the intake of fruits and vegetables for 11 years. All these women, 13,000 women eating fruits and vegetables, they were tracked for 11 years. And um, 11 years later, they tested the cognitive function of the brain or whatever. And uh, that was when the women were in their 70s. They were in their 70s by now. And they discovered that women who ate the most green, leafy, and cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, had less decline in brain function than women in the group who ate those vegetables less frequently. So there's something to be said about studies. 
and um, no, but uh, eating healthy right? and eating healthy. Uh, eating good. You know, and there are also other things you can do, but you know, basically, just try to eat less, as many vegetables as possible, especially if um, your family is genetically um, uh, inclined to develop uh, some, these kinds of uh, disorders or diseases. Additionally, uh, we have a lot of references on this article that William just uh, read to you, just talked about. And you, if you want references to uh, these, um, uh, I don't know. How, I mean, these allegations, they're not even allegations. They will say allegations, but these topics yeah. uh, go to my website, nancy at animallawlawyer.com. And the article will be posted there, nancy at animallawlawyer.com. And if you do want to call in, the number is uh, 323-203-0815, 323-203-0815. And please call before 2.30, because at 2.30, Leslie will be calling in, and we will be talking about uh, the fur bat in California, not so other other. 2.30 West Coast time, 5.30 East Coast time. New okay, York what time. else do we have? Well, our our favorite ally here, the Brits across the pond, is a development there relative to animals and animal welfare. The British government has finally banned the use of wild animals in traveling circuses in England. Coming into effect in January 2020, the wild animals and circuses Number two, Bill, comes after more than 20 years of investigations and campaigns by animal welfare groups. Isn't that great, Nancy? Yes. Circuses. Nothing to do with the new Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, by the way. He's got no, enough headaches. I don't think so. He's got enough headaches <laughs> that Donald Trump look like that he is. He's got a mole of the freeze dude, his haircut, and he's yeah. a little weird. But anyways, we hope he's sympathetic to animals. But continuing on with the uh, final, finally abandoned circuses of animals, Wild animals. Circuses, by their very nature, do not have adequate facilities to keep the animals physically and psychologically healthy. Thanks to undercover videos and testimonials, there is overwhelming evidence showing the brutal treatment of the animals. 26, 26 European Union countries have already banned wild animals in circuses. England's ban follows that of Scotland, 2017. Nancy, what's a wild animal? Give us an example that's been banned. A bear, a lion. Uh, so they can't humiliate these bears and have them have you know carry rings and balance. Crap. Elephants, big oh, problem. Okay. So these are wild animals, right? Uh, well, would you have dinner with a tiger? No, maybe. but you're not. Kids, <laughs> you're not considering kids as wild animals, right? Well, some some, some maybe. Uh, I was lucky. I was fortunate enough, except for him wanting to put everything in the electric socket when okay. he was young. But <laughs> aside from that. So, uh, so, so that that's great. The actually, you know, this is my question to you because in, in 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 the United States, different cities have the authority to ban circus uh, parties or circus entertainment. Right and there, are, you know, many states have many, but they go by cities, they go by counties. You know, Connecticut, Bridgeport uh, did it. Um, you can't have circus in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But l- 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 I just want to point this out. You have entire countries like Bosnia and Herzegovina, Croatia, El Salvador, you call them Panama, you, call them you know, Mexico. Okay. They have banned nationally well, kudos to them. Okay, the use That's of wild beautiful. animals in traveling circuses. Okay, We are supposed to be advanced. 
I don't know. Excitement just or maybe it's against the religion to have to be entertained. I really don't know. Maybe if you're really strictly religious, you're not allowed in Iran to be entertained by animals, which I'm, I'm good with that, whatever. The ends justify the means. But just think about it. Why the U.S. say we couldn't just say nationally, no more wild animals. If you, I mean, I'm, I'm not in favor because they do use dogs also. But think about it, tigers and cougars. But hasn't and, that practice, in effect, anyway, stopped or, or subsided? subsided? The Barnum and Bailey is basically no more. Well, they just, they just, what they do is, well, first of all, the popularity has declined. Right. Okay? It's to, really declined. You go to Vegas and you got, uh, you know, you know uh, what do they call though, that French troop that's all over Vegas up and down the strip from Quebec? What do you call them? Uh, they don't have animals it's all humans no no so it's unfashionable now to keep having animals in this yeah it is so what's done here off the books what is done yeah i mean i keep saying all the time the only way to make change is to stop buying stuff stop buying the stuff stop going to these rodeos and uh, you know to these uh dog races just stop going to all that stuff uh, horse races and and it'll go away you know, it'll go away. Um, but, you know, let me add, because this show has a little bit of a legal twist to it, okay? Right. I would have thought, I didn't know that it was a, a municipal or a city yes. thing to ban the use of animals in circuses or wild animals, as you call it. I would have thought that that's an interstate commerce thing, because it's a, usually a traveling circus and all that. And I would have thought the feds ultimately would govern, but uh, no. I'm okay with this. You see what I'm saying? I, they govern as far as uh, using like wildlife concerns. If you, if it's an endangered species, whatever, then they come in. But uh, federal law does not apply to uh, wild animals in the circus. They're not protected. So was it a federal law or just public opinion that got Barnum and Bailey to stop using the animals? Public opinion. That's good. Okay, public, so. But you know what they do? They just recirculate the animals to, to – some of them they do give to zoos, but it's just – the animals are so well, damaged. But in other cases, they give them to, to – they sell them to circuses because they all know each other. They, but <coughs> let, let, let's, let, let, let's try to mobilize people, you know, one kid at a time, one adult at a time. So when people – as I was told by my adult friends going to see The Lion King last night, right? Right? Yeah. They really have to transfer and project their appreciation of cute little, you know, animals with the visual effects and all that onto the real animals around us that are living and breathing and all that. And they should start advocating for these animals, not just the cartoon visual affected ones on the screen. Don't yeah, you agree no. with me, Nancy? Yeah, no, that's true. If, you, if you that's do. all cute and beautiful, then come on, make the life of the animal in the zoo and uh, in the wild yeah. easier too and support them any way you can yeah every little bit helps honestly but it's a it's a long road well, it's know. a and some of us some of us it's a lonely road because we're the uh, underdog we need help for the gibbons again those gibbons smile.amazon.com if you i switched um to uh, on smell.amazon.com, I switched my donation to the Gibbons. So every time we buy right. something on Amazon, which I'm not a fan of, yeah. but it is convenient. But all the masses of zillions of people, it, it's really effortless. Go to smile.amazon.com, put in the Gibbons here. It's in Valencia, it's in north, you know, just a valley north of the San Fernando Valley. And you have these beautiful little apes that sing and that. Just court each other. It's unbelievable. That's, of course, what we saw last Saturday. And if you do that, you can help them keep them alive. There's 19 species that are endangered. 
And okay, uh, the, yeah, that's right. They are endangered. It's a wonderful sanctuary. I don't think these people take a salary. They work in the. They're beautiful. They don't. Take in the a summer, salary. these are horrible conditions in Santa Clarita. It gets really, really hot. So every little bit helps. Uh, just if you can just even change it just for a month or two and donate to the Gibbons, then go back to your original charity. Just do whatever you can. Try to spread the wealth because uh, we need all the help we can get. It's a funny name for baby gorillas. But they're so Babe. yeah, they're so cute. They uh, so. Um, Let's move on. Where? Let's talk about the guillemots, or however you call them, and the serious issue there. Okay, the guillemots. Are you ready for the guillemots? Yeah. Okay, that's a very weird uh, weird name. So, look, guillemots, spelled G-U-I-L-L-E-M-O-T-S. Guillemot. Sounds like something French, okay? I, I, was, I was saying guillemot. But... The guillemot. Mo means words, and gui, who knows? But anyways, roughly 20,000 guillemots have died off the coast of the Netherlands, starved to death, and no one knows why. The seabird carcasses began washing up <clears throat> pardon me, on the Dutch shoreline around January of this year. Researchers say it is one of the largest mass deaths since the 1990s. Mardik Leopold, a biologist at Wageningen University, initially received reports in early January about an unusually high number of birds dying after a large container ship spilled some of its contents into the North Sea. An unusually high number of guillemots began washing ashore on the northern coast. But it stops at the border. It's a real Dutch problem, Leopold says. Belgium to the south isn't seeing any elevated mortality, and to the east, Germany isn't seeing much either. Uh, so far, veterinary... Uh, Pathologists have autopsied around 16 birds. They have found emaciated guillemots with empty stomachs. Empty stomachs, no plastic pellets, no poison, and no fat left on them. They appear to have starved to death. So what happened? You guys got to excuse me. I have a bit of a cold here, okay? The first possibility is the weather. Usually when thousands of birds die like this without any apparent explanation, it's due to prolonged bad weather. Weeks of high wind wears them down, and unless there's a lull, they can't find enough food to sustain themselves. Long periods of wind have been known to kill tens of thousands of guillemots uh, in previous times. But the weather hasn't been particularly bad. The winter hasn't been especially cold or windy. Or windy. Anyway, the second uh, possibility is there's a, perhaps a container spill. Plenty of plastic has been washing ashore from the ship's a uh, disaster, but mostly uh, too large for a bird to swallow, like toys and furniture. Wow, that gets into the ocean. That's well, disgusting. that's my theory, but we'll talk about it in a minute. That's disgusting if, if garbage like that gets into our ocean. That's oil, Mr. Uh, Plastic, oil. Ad additionally, according to Leopold, guillemots aren't the kind of seabirds that are likely to mistake plastic pellets for food. They're not dummies. So perhaps the ship spilled something chemical that's killing the birds instead. But then why only guillemots? A poison in the water should be killing other seabirds. It could also be that there's some chemical that's getting into their food supply, maybe something only guillemots are eating. The problem with that is that guillemots eat a wide variety of fish that plenty of other species consume as well. Then they considered possibly paraffin. Paraffin is a waxy solid made from petroleum, coal, or shale oil and used in things like cosmetics, candles, and crayons. Shelling, an island off the northern coast of the Netherlands, has seen paraffin wash ashore along with contents from the container ship accident. So 
There's an accent we didn't tell them about, Nancy. Some have speculated that the guimau might have died eating that, not plastic, because it's fatty and not digestible. Paraffin can clog up the intestines and kill you. But Leopold says that guimau don't eat fat the way seagulls do, so though it's possible for a starving bird to consume paraffin in desperation, this theory doesn't seem to apply to these birds. While a group of experts, from biologists to pathologists, have been coming together to collectively examine about 100 birds sampled from all over the country. Leopold says the newspapers and politicians are looking over our shoulders and they all want answers yesterday, but testing takes time. Well, this happened in February, and I'm still looking for results of the testing, and I haven't found anything. So those out there, if you have any information, um, please, uh, you can call at 323-203-0815 or send us an email at nancy at animallawlawyer.com. I think it's there was another spill in 2009 there. I think there are probably spills that we don't even know about, even though it sounds kind of crazy what I'm news. saying. Don't make but, this, they dive for their food. They spend, let me tell you a little bit about these guimots or guimo, however you call it. They spend most of their lives at sea and they dive for their food. And they're very sensitive to oil pollution. So it, it, every winter there is a large number of these dead birds. And, and actually, when you see them, they look like a cross between a, a penguin and a seagull, kind of. Yes. Uh, so, you see the black and white penguin resemblance. Right, exactly. Here I have a picture of it. So half of them, I mean, a lot of them wash... They die because of this pollution in the water. Nancy, hold that picture up to the microphone so that they can they <laughs> can see it to the microphone. Hold it up to the microphone. We will eventually probably televise our show, so stay tuned. So, so when and they if do... I can interrupt you, I'm sorry, Nancy. This is a collective act. All you listeners out there in listener land, okay? So seriously, if any of you can help us, assist us in getting more information right. on a spill here, a spill there, if you can add to our fund of knowledge so that we can make you know the show, the show you know more uh, factually rich. Hey, please assist us. We're very democratic. Absolutely, we're very Thank democratic. So only a spun, uh, only a small number of them they 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 reach the beach alive. Half of them can. Those who, the ones who do reach the beach, they can be cleansed and rehabilitated. Um, but in two thousand and nine, there was a disaster or whatever. It didn't work out. Uh, but there were some were saved, but not all of them. So I think it's a chemical in the water that doesn't reach the neighboring countries. Or oil spill. The oil, oil spill spills. that doesn't reach, because they're emaciated. They're poisoned. It's, See, so they're starved in some fashion. Yeah, they're poisoned. They, they, you know what? Maybe their food sources are tainted or polluted, and they don't want to go near them, and they starve I'm, themselves. Yeah, they, they, they search for, for, for fish. Um, and any marine biologist who might be listening to this, please... Call in. We'd be fascinated and indebted to you uh, for your knowledge. Uh, very quick, but the picture that you're sh- holding up to the microphone, yeah. Nancy, uh, it, what it is, it looks like a kind of a, a, I don't know, a pigeon with a white breast. It's just beautiful. White breast and then the, right. cape, the cape and the face is is, uh, is a black. So it really does look like a penguin. It looks like Batman. These birds are very cute. Go ahead, Nancy. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're basically in the on the Dutch coast. Um North in the North Sea, the Dutch North Sea. Beautiful country, Netherlands. So that's where you can find them. They they nest on islands in the Atlantic Ocean and rocky coasts. And all of you Americans who are touring now Western Europe and traveling with your backpacks all over the place, each one of you has a mission to enrich this show. 
lend us your knowledge. You're all on a mission to go ahead and inquire, capture pictures, ask local people, the GIMO and all that, G-U-I-L-L-M-O-T-S. I think I left that an E. So if you're all backpacking and you got your phones, you got the internet, you're hearing all this on L.A. Talk Radio, Nancy's show here. Right. So go ahead, take a peek at these birds, and if you get to the bottom of this, you'd be assisting society and the birdies. And, the, or and if you do have any stories that you want to share, you can either call in and talk about it on, on another show, right. or but just tell us, you know, we, send a headline. We might invite you on. We might, just like Penn and Teller, you fool us. He invites people <laughs> on to really, the show. I guess it's, it's not really fooling us, but okay. Yeah. So, let it, so again, you can either send an email, let me know, Nancy, William. Uh, I have the story I want to talk about. I have this issue. Um, wherever you are in the world, because we're we're transmitted all over the world, nationally and internationally. We are international, baby. That's right. So yeah. we are open. We're one big society of people who want to make the world a better place, right. especially when it comes to animals. Okay, so, let me so continue my story about eggs, okay? okay? Because Leslie will be coming on in about six minutes, and I want to continue my story about eggs. It's something a lot of people do every day. Um, we were we stopped at the vegetarian feed, uh, vegetarian fed eggs uh, or hens, uh, because they're vegetarian fed. Naturally, by nature, these hens don't go outside because they would be eating worms and insects, unless the egg producer is lying to you. Now there's the organic egg, which is the only egg label that has regulations attached to it and is subject to inspections and uh, enforcement. So to qualify as organic, they must come from chickens that are fed only organic feed, okay? Uh, No pesticides, no chemical additives, no GMO, nothing like that. And they must come from chickens that are only given uh, antibiotics in the event of an infection. No hormones uh, or other drugs. Only if absolutely needed. No druggy chickens here. No druggy hens, right? Right. Okay. And these hens must have access to outdoors, even if it means just a small small pen or a little enclosed yard area. They cannot be raised in cages. So as long as you have them cage-free and you give them a little... uh, little area that looks like a penitentiary, even though they they don't go outside, but they... The definition of outdoor access has been um, diluted dramatically uh, with the new administration, so they really don't have access to the outside unless they're pasture-raised. So um, just buy pasture-raised eggs. I would buy pasture-raised before I even buy organic. Pasture-raised eggs. It sounds like you're saying pasteurized, like milk. No, not pasteurized. Pasture, like grazing, you know, grazing in the pasture. Oh, yeah, we're having a good time in the garden, eating worms and eating insects. Oh, let's take a peek outside there. Well, look at all these beautiful eggs. Actually, this is a rooster. Actually, is that a rooster? Yeah. He doesn't love eggs. So, um, but I want to talk about something that's common across all eggs, except for maybe one egg producer, uh, but it's called molting. In nature, birds replace all their feathers in the course of a year to maintain good plumage at all times. The hens want to be pretty, they want to be attractive. So they molt, they shed, I guess like a lizard, they shed all their feathers and um, and this happens, uh, this natural molt often happens at the onset of winter. So the ladies, they stop laying their eggs, they concentrate on staying warm and growing new feathers. That's their job. And um, so basically they're just replacing old feathers with new ones. Just like women. Sort of. 
Very nice. The well-kept women. That's beautiful. So forced molting, as opposed to natural molting, is a regular industry standard, which means that it's legal to force molt your hands. So this practice is common and legal, like I said, in factory farms where egg-laying hens, they live in battery cages, okay? But it's not only in battery cages. It's common, cage-free. It's common, what organic. What does battery cage mean? They live in little these little cases that are smaller than an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper. But you just said a, battery. What is a battery? Well, they call them battery cages because okay. they're just small little okay. cells, little okay. cages that they live on. Um, and uh, so they so what happens is the the forced molting it induces the stress in oh, these oh. egg laying hens. It's induced. No, get ready for this through starvation. They starve the hens. They molt, and they and and all the purpose of all this is so that they will eventually produce larger eggs. The whole purpose to starve the hen, but or water, depending on the producer. Paid on top of this, I hope. From five to twenty-one days. Well, there is. Okay. They're trying to work on it, but it's. Um, we need help. Well, they're not working on the molting. Molting is not going to change anytime soon, except it's up to the specific producer to, to do something about it. And some do. And I know of um, one. He's not a sponsor on the show, but I will uh, name them. They're called Vital. They sell them at Sprouts. It's V-I-T-A-L. They're pasture-raised eggs. Uh, and they... But if, I checked. If, if they don't I, I don't need sprouts. eggs, but I checked for my son who eats eggs. And they do not. They they the, the they let their ladies molt naturally. But what are the versions of sprouts on the East Coast? If there's no sprout supermarkets on the East Coast, uh, I I don't even know where they're located. So maybe that that's to be continued. Perhaps next show we can let you know that another. Well, I mean, I, chain that carries. Yeah, them. I mean, where else they're sold? And they're called V I T A L. And these are pasture raised eggs. They're not a well. They're they're humane certified, I think, but. What's important to me, even though I don't eat eggs, is that the hens don't uh, aren't starved for oh, uh, five bad. to twenty-one days, so that egg. they can lose all their weight and lose all their feathers. It's 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 brutal. Um, you would think they would just give them hormones to have a bigger egg instead of starving them, having them molt. Yeah, and actually, what happens is they become aggressive. Wow. Uh, they start plucking other people's feathers, whatever their own feathers, and so that's the excuse of the industry saying, "Well, then we have to debeak them. We have to trim their beaks so they won't beat each other up." Well, they're beating each other up because you're forced, you're starving them. That's terrible, terrible. Uh, that's sick. So. Um, and according to the USDA, at any given time, over 6 million hens in the U.S. are being systematically starved in their cages. Now, this is not me talking or you. This is the USDA. So, Are they doing something about it, the USDA? No, because it's legal. You, it's, like I said before, the only way to stop all this stuff is to not buy those eggs. Okay, so we got to make a list and spell this out for them, the listeners. So, but but generally, organic and and if it's humane certified, generally they, the, the the hens will not uh, be forced to molt, will but not be starved. But I would check because I did check with Vital the Vitalek people, and uh, they, they and the chickens, uh, the hens are not starved, so that they lose all their feathers and eventually make bigger and better eggs. So, by the way, in Canada. Uh, forced molting is not common. It's not something you see often. Huh. And and I don't like those egg producer lobbyists in Canada either. Huh. 
and it's not allowed in the UK. But the UK is uh, is all right, huh? They care more. So I want to actually. Um, it's I don't I'm I don't think I'm I think we're getting a call. Um, it's two thirty two. I was getting so excited over the eggs. I don't think I picked up my call. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention. I wonder if I can. Let me see. There's a number here. I don't know let's if it's see a if call. Dale, our producer, can uh, try to go yeah, and let's, uh, let's ask establish. Him. I think I can call this person. Oh, it's an incoming call. Hello, this is Nancy on LA Talk Radio. Hello, is this Nancy? Oh, yes, this is Leslie. Leslie, I'm sorry that we missed your call. Okay. So you're here with, with me and William Mayoff. Speaking, on, I'm here as well. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're on live on Animal News Magazine, LA Talk Radio, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us, really. Um, so before we get into the, sure. the, the, into the... Thank you for having me. Well, it, we, all, we all have to help each other in, in fixing this br- brutal problem that we have. So uh, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the organization? Uh, yes, I am an organizer with a group called Compassionate Bay. We're an animal protection and environmental protection organization. Uh, we're the legislative arm of Direct Action Everywhere. What do you mean that the legislative arm of Direction? What does that mean? What, can you put it in? Um, well, we're essentially a working group, part of Direct Action Everywhere, and we work on legislative goals, whereas um, Direct Action Everywhere or DXC is primarily interested and focused on uh, animal rescue and protest and getting the word out to the general public of uh, that these animals are sentient and they don't deserve to suffer and be tortured and be killed. Okay, so what legislation are you working on right now that really needs attention? I mean, they're all they're all important, but which one is like really more current and more in the news? Um, well, we're primarily focused on AB forty four, which is the statewide fur ban in California. Which are you in California, ban- by the way? Are you li- do you live in Cal- Are you in California right now? Yes. Okay, because William was asking. Hey, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Assembly Bill AB is Assembly Bill. Right. And uh, she's based in California, <laughs> yeah. Leslie Goldberg. Okay. What can yeah, we that's do? Correct. What, what Assembly, can we, Assembly yeah. Bill A44 in the California State Legislature. Okay, what's that about? Um, it's a bill that will ban the sale and manufacture of fur products in our state. And if it passes, and it really looks like it will, wow. um, it will make California the first state in the country to ban uh, the sale and manufacture of fur products. That's fantastic. Does that include secondhand or just firsthand fur products? Uh, Pardon me, what's the question? I I think that it's just the manufacturer, like the firsthand, but I think secondhand fur products, if you already have a fur coat in your store, I mean, the secondhand... It's grandfathered. It's grandfathered, right? You can sell secondhand. Um, Yes, it doesn't include vintage fur products. Okay. And the bill, uh, if it passes, is designed to go into effect in 2020. 2000, I'm sorry, 2022. Okay. And um, 
we passed similar bills have been passed in California. We passed a bill in West Hollywood. Then it was the city of Berkeley. Then it was the city of San Francisco and then Los Angeles. And um, stores, retail stores were given a certain amount of time to uh, basically get rid of their inventory. And now in San Francisco, um, you know, they can't sell for products. So uh, what are they doing? Because they keep jumping up and down saying, oh, you know, what am I going to do? I can't feed my family. Oh, poor little old me. So what are these? So I, I guess, are, what are they? Are they homeless on the streets now? Are they on welfare? You know? I'm sure they, yeah, right. I'm sure they found something, well, you know, they can sell full fur, right? Yes, exactly. And what we found in our research was that the fur coats that people see in department stores are generally sold on consignment so that um, Saks Fifth Avenue or Neiman Marcus, they're not putting out um, the cash outlet, outlay to have those products in their stores. How long has this been going on? Is this a new thing or has it always been like that? Um, I believe that's pretty much standard practice in the industry. This so it comes down to the consumer. If I don't buy the coat, Leslie, this is a great achievement. I can't believe it. So a ban on the manufacture and sale of furs in the entire state of California. When will we know this? What's what's the the, the, the what's the date where we're going to find this out? The result, well, the um, AB forty four, the fur ban, has passed through three committees wow. in the state assembly wow. and the state assembly as a whole. And it has just passed through two committees in the state Senate. And it on August 12th, it will be put into what they call the suspense file in the Appropriations Committee of the Senate. And it will be voted on by that committee um, at the end of August. And then in September, if it passes in September, it will be voted on by the entire Senate. And if it passes at that point, it will go on to the governor for his signature. This is wonderful news. And then so, and, and Newsom is, uh, I mean, he's, he's, his inclination is to sign it. Um, I'm, I don't know. But one of the things that we have observed in the state legislature now, um, we have a super democratic majority and the Democrats in California have been passing and voting for numerous animal protection bills. And I think these legislators have come to understand that the public in California is loves animals and we care about them and we want to protect them. She's the best. She's the best. So there was, um, Actually, I read this on uh, on your website. There was a, a hearing, I think, in July sometime. Anyway, this guy who, who was representing himself, his name is Matt Gray. He's identifying himself as a representative of some group that's against um, the fur ban. And he was paid by the Fur Information Council to go to the hearing and oppose the fur ban. Yes, it was a very strange thing because 
all through the votes in the assembly, um, there was very little opposition to the FURBAM. We would see at these committee hearings, we would have a hundred animal rights activists and generally representing the fur, the, the fur industry's interest would be four or five um, lobbyists. And when the FURBAM uh, arrived in the Senate, in the uh, Natural Resources Committee, suddenly there was about 30 young, um, primarily young men um, standing up saying they were opposed to the fur ban. And um, so we did some research and it turned out that they were mostly college and high school students. Um, who had responded to advertisements on Facebook wow. saying you want an easy way to make a hundred dollars? Wow. Uh, come to Sacramento and speak out against the fur ban. Good work, Leslie. And they did. Leslie, let me ask you this: This is wonderful news. So, so any this will be the first state in the union. Hopefully, I mean, all the indicators are that it's going to pass. This is the first state in California that is, uh, it will be enacting a fur ban as to manufacture and sale, or are there other states as well? Yes, it, California would be the first state. But, uh, well, New York, is a, New, York, New York is getting close. How do you feel about New, the New York fur ban? Do you, New York City, it's not a state, I know, but do you think that it's going to pass in, this, in New York? Because I, I, I don't know. Um, I. I really don't know. I certainly hope that it passes. I know that they've, the activists have had kind of some of the similar difficulties that we have had in that the fur industry is also paying for protesters to show up there and speak out against the fur ban. So, um, you know, I, I really, I really don't know. So is there going to be a religious exemption in this fur ban for California? Um, yes, there will be um, exemptions for religious purposes, uh, particularly among Native Americans who might use, who might want to use fur for their ceremonies. But not to keep warm. Yeah, for their ceremonies, which is a religious exemption. Any other religious exemptions we should know yeah. about? Well, I mean, anybody who's religious, I mean, who needs animals, uh, you know, if you're a Kabbalist and you just swing, well, actually, that's not fur. That's just swinging your hand around. That's not <laughs> just a live chicken. Okay. So Leslie's a saint. Leslie's a very lovely lady. So how can people help or assist to do their part here? Obviously, don't buy. Oh, let me ask you, Leslie. So if if you have the uh, the soulless people, the humanoids out there, if they still want to get their hands on fur and all, what, they'll just go to Vegas or go to you know other states other cities is that what yeah what you'd like for example here it's banned in la all you have to do uh, is go to beverly hills and you get yourself you get a fur you but go not to if it's going to be a statewide ban. but then then they have to go to nevada then they're going to have to go somewhere else right, right. Leslie, we're going to have to appeal to these people who watch the lion king and adore all these movie animals and then they go ahead and, and wear a fur and start eating their steak and potatoes right leslie yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I guess so. You're a saint, Leslie. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, okay, why, why don't you tell us the condition of uh, where these furs come from and the condition of the animals while they're being raised for fur? Yes. Thank. Thank you for that question. Um, the fur industry is notoriously cruel, and animal rights activists have been fighting this cruel industry 
actively since the 1970s. And also, as I, I found uh, evidence of early as the 1920s, um, basically um, women who were opposed to animal cruelty were speaking out against the fur industry. And the fur, the animals raised for fur are kept in small wire cages. And these are wild animals. They were designed by nature to roam great distances, to climb, to dig, and in the case of mink, to swim. And in the fur industry, in these tiny cages, they're not allowed to express any of these uh, natural behaviors. Consequently, these animals go through incredible suffering, which is evidenced by their behavior. And you can see on these fur farms, you can see animals spinning relentlessly in their cages. You can see some animals who just refuse to move. They just curl up in a ball in the corner of their cage. Um, Also, these animals have been documented um, self-mutilating. They will chew off their own tails or chew on their own limbs. They've also been uh, shown to kill their own babies and um, or kill their cage mates. So they suffer enormously in terms of how they're raised. It's also extremely torturous, the um, slaughtering methods that are used um, in the United States. And in this country, animals, um, sometimes they have their necks snapped. Sometimes they are electrocuted with probes inserted in their mouths or in their anus. And one of the worst ways to kill kill an animal is um, they will try to asphyxiate them, putting them into boxes that are connected to truck exhaust. So they are poisoned by CO2. And this method of, of slaughter is not efficient. And animals, some animals don't die you know, after they, they've attempted to asphyxiate them. And the next thing you know, the animal is waking up while they are being slaughtered or skinned alive. So it's really an egregious industry. And we are so happy that the legislators in the state of California are waking up and trying and stopping this. Leslie, this is all documented stuff in the United States of America, all, all the tortures, terrible things that you just outlined, correct? This is, we know China's horrific, but you're not talking China, you're talking America, correct? It, absolutely. Wow. And a lot of fur products come from China, although Europe is the biggest um, producer of fur products in the world. Uh, interesting that Europe is bigger than uh, China as far as the production of fur is concerned. Yes, it's 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 curious. Yet we are seeing that many countries in Europe are banning fur farms, including the UK, the Netherlands, uh, Croatia, and Ser- Serbia, and um, Germany and and Switzerland have so regulated 
the industry, it's no longer financially feasible. So they are not raising fur in those countries. That's very interesting that you have. uh... So so how can we, you know, the list is out there. How do we raise consumer awareness? Do we have a website for them to go to? Okay, well, what we really need is for your listeners to call their senators. Beautiful. And if if you don't know who your state senator is, please go to dxc.io backslash senator. Okay. And you you can also get more information on the fur ban by going to furishistory.org. First, and that site will give you all the information you need. Can you repeat both both uh, references once again, Leslie, please? Yes. Thank you. Yes. To find out who your senator is, go to dxc.io backslash senator. And you could also go to furishistory.org. We really appreciate your time, Leslie, for coming on the show and um, and talking about this. Leslie, can you come back on and maybe tell us the developments here? That we want to keep there, a pulse but on But they it. also have other bills that they're promoting. Oh, I'd be happy to. Yeah, and there's uh, the deforestation, wow. uh, free procurement act. There's the ban for the ban uh, fur trap. The ban on fur trapping there's there are a lot of um there's a lot of legislation uh, that i'd like to talk about that's not law yet but leslie yes let's so i'll, I'll be in contact with you and i'd like to uh, do another round on another uh, bill in california or uh, you know in, in the and u.s updates. and updates uh, yeah Bill william wants updates so oh, I, I i'd be more than happy to and there are so many really exciting uh, bills that are happening right now. It's it's a great time to be working on the on this issue. Okay. Oh, that's You're that's a that's a, I'd like to Leslie's end on a, a good positive note. Thank you, Leslie. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you for very everything much. you're doing for for the cause. Okay. Thanks, Have Leslie. a nice Sunday. Sure. Oh, bye. Okay. Thank you. Right. Bye. So that's. Uh, that's, That's good. California's going to be the first, but I'm not surprised. As much as I'm not a big fan of uh, Newsom, I really, on many levels, I don't like him. But for that, I really appreciate it. They're really, uh, they're really sensitive to animal issues. Well, this is all the time we have today. It just flew right by. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for spending this time with us. And please join us again next week, same place, same time, next Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you just go to the website, animallawlawyer.com for information, and you can always write us at nancy at animallawlawyer.com. We want to hear your comments, good things, bad things. It doesn't matter. Just let us know that you're out there and that um, how we can improve this, this show. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We, we, we appreciate it very much. Till next time. Bye-bye. William signing off and Nancy signing off. You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio.